0: Brother, how's it going?
1: <laughs> Do you know, it's. I shouldn't complain. I should. I should, I really should not complain, and I catch myself at times. But I've got to be honest. I am very tired. Very very tired.
0: Talk to me. How's your week been? Do
1: you know, it's, it's been a regular week. It's it's. I'm not tired because of anything that was done specifically this week. I think it's. I'm, I'm tired of lockdown. I'm tired of COVID. Yeah. I'm tired of not having certain conveniences and luxuries, which I didn't realise were luxuries, i.e. just having people to support with the kids, um, meeting up with people regularly to support my mental health. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Is it June the 12th? I've, honestly, the, I don't even
0: know. To I, I'm not holding out any expectation because I think if you get too excited and then they push it back. That's the point where people start doing reckless things like
1: driving down the wrong way on the motorway. <laughs> <laughs> just to feel something. I just start rebelling. Yeah. I'll be like Bruce Willis and Braveheart just rallying the troops. <laughs> like we're not having this. <laughs>
0: people are gonna be knocking at Boris's door. Um I don't know what the date is, but yeah, at some point in June and I'm I'm hoping that we don't get any pushback. I, I completely relate to what you're feeling and mm-hmm. I think you, you're seeing you're seeing it when you are in public in the way that people just don't give a damn anymore. Don't, the the rate of people wearing masks has, has gone down. Yep. Um if you go outside any kind of pub or beer garden you're gonna see people just congregate. Packed. Yeah. It's people are over it. And shoulder to shoulder. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so what are you gonna do about it, bro?
1: It's a very good question. I've accepted my wife's suggestion that we need to take a holiday, which does really link to today's topic because I have uh, colonized her mind into appreciating delayed gratification. And previously, (laughs) I was suggesting, you know, but there's certain things that we just need to get in place. We need to get this in place before we do that. We can hold off on a holiday, etc., etc. But she's planted the seed, yeah, and that seed is now an oak tree. And I think I'm (laughs) going to be the one booking the tickets. Book the tickets. So. Strategy I, I need to completely stop mm. um, so that I can come back energized to do what I'm currently doing, which is a gift. I, I get to come home to my wife and my kids every single day, I get to feed off their energy, I get to engage with them. I also need to meet up with people again. Mm. I'm communicating with everyone virtually, and I thought I was fine, but a year afterwards, I realized that actually being in self-confinement has actually had some kind of lasting effects on me yeah it's impacted me in a couple of ways
0: I know what you mean I think based on what you've said it's very important that you get the rest that you need so that you can recharge and we can take that for granted because we're just in a constant build and deliver phase but from what you've said and from how you're feeling that is absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've spoken about on this podcast in the past is that if you're unable to detach yourself from from work, from delivering, then it means that you haven't put the necessary buffers in place to keep you going because yeah. <laughs> none of us wanna be working till we're dead.
1: Nope.
0: So for me, I would say I can definitely relate to where you're coming from with that. I would, I guess I would add the fact that because we spend so much time building, delivering, we get used to the fact that we're in that mindset and this is what our norm is. We actually forget that there's a different gear and I've actually become very comfortable with the idea of just being in constant delivery mode mm. to the point where I actually think, yeah, I'm okay, but I can do this. I don't need a break. Yeah. And the only time you realize that is when you're in a social setting and you realize that you're not as sharp as you used to be. You're not as quick with the responses as you used to be, yeah. or whether wh- when you're in a Work setting, for instance, a work meeting which I was in recently, and the words don't come when I'm trying to articulate a point, and the words don't come. It's definitely demonstrated to me that I've missed, I've 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 lost a step or two, missed the pit stop, Mm. missed the moment just to stop and rest. I made tea with cold water this morning, (laughs) but that's that's to actually highlight something. There's a very pivotal thing that's happening right now, which some people may have already acknowledged, or some people may be aware of, but after over a year, this is the first time we are recording the Expensive Lessons podcast in the same room. Mm. Welcome to Expensive Lessons, ladies and gentlemen, the podcast where company directors share their stories, their experiences, their life lessons with you in order to help you in a better understanding of yourself, in a better understanding of your business, and hopefully, together we can all work on improving our current circumstances. Um, what I want to do, maybe it's because we're in the same room and I'm excited, is I want to introduce a new concept within the Expensive Lessons podcast, which is a segment which I call. I haven't decided on the name yet. It'll come. It will come. It will come. But it's a segment about what I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it a beta title of this week in business. Um, and what I want to use this title or this period for is to identify or acknowledge a particular news story which is related to business or personal development, personal growth, which I think is something that we should talk about, to share insight on, and we'll see how it goes. So this week in business, I want to refer to a news article from The Evening Standard. Now, I'm not a particular regular listener or reader, sorry, of The Evening Standard, but sometimes the headline is so juicy that you just can't ignore it. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read the start of it, and I'd love to get some uh, insight from UFO So The Evening Standard started off with a headline saying, Why is Boris Johnson so broke? Uncle Boris. Uncle Boris. Um, as the cost of Boris Johnson's flat refurbishment comes under scrutiny, why can't he afford to pay for it? It reads, Boris Johnson has never given the impression of a man in a comfortable financial situation. His former boss at the Daily Telegraph, Max Hastings, remembers when Boris Johnson lost a bet on the 2010 election. Hastings chased up his winnings and eventually, Johnson sent a letter saying, check enclosed. There was no check. <laughs> um, this is not the only time that Johnson has been um, challenged. Um, uh, interns at Spec- uh, Spectator say that he never paid them back for coffee rounds. Uh, he had to borrow £3.10 from Jennifer <laughs> um, Arakiri uh, to pay for drinks when they went on a date. And guests at checkers have said that before meals, he proclaims, eat every scrap, I have to pay for this. Now, I wanna stop there, but why did I want to bring this up today? Well, many of you may be aware of the current scandal around Boris Johnson's finances. He used taxpayer money to pay for a recent flat refurbishment which was about 88,000 pounds and this included Um, items such as gold picture frames now following on from that he then reached out to conservative uh donators to help pay the taxpayer back
1: Mm.
0: and for me this demonstrates that our prime minister political affiliation aside
1: is very poor with his money management what are your thoughts on that It's a fascinating news story, and I think you've added a spin on it that I'd never really thought of before. Uh, Initially, I concluded that there's a certain group of people in society who don't pay for things with their money. And they've been raised with that mindset of, you can get it, but someone else will pay for it. And at some point, someone else will pay them back. (laughs) Um, But potentially, actually, yeah, maybe he is actually broke. (laughs) <laughs> which is quite a, a, a controversial statement because this is a privately educated, uh, his siblings were privately educated, come, come from a well to do family. Um, reading ages ago, I think his ancestors and Princess Diana's ancestors are the same. So when they talk about upper echelons and cliques, this is really part of that group. But well, yeah, maybe he's broke.
0: But you make a point which is is it necessarily a bad thing? that he's been able to get this far financially based on the fact that he has strong connections, support from stakeholders, donators. I don't think it is. That's genius. I think it demonstrates that he does have some solid acumen, especially when it comes to raising funds. The problem, however, is that financially he's let himself down because now the public have seen that the curtain has moved to the side and that he actually doesn't have as good uh, a grasp on his financials as possible. I think if he did this in a more strategic manner Mm. and had the right people supporting him Mm. without actually having this come to press, then we wouldn't be talking about this. No, we wouldn't. But this has always been an issue, though, because some people might remember probably about 15 years ago now, Lord Mandelson, who was a Labour peer, he had to resign because he used taxpayer money to pay for his mortgage. Wonderful. So we've got two concepts here, which I think kind of need to balance each other up, which is something that I'm an advocate for and something that I am staunchly against. Mm. The thing that I'm an advocate for is how do we use other people's money to help develop our own financial security or stability? Yes. And the second one is, how do we manage for our finances in such a way that we don't end up front page of the, of the Evening
1: Standard? And that's the mistake he would have made. The people close to him will be critiquing him on how this story got out. Mm. Not the fact that he's used other people's money. Their issue is that this story's come out. Which is keenly linked to what we're discussing today because we need to start thinking about how we can utilize all of the resources around us which might not be resources directly linked to us so we're talking about investments today we're
0: talking about how you make your money work for you and there are multiple ways that you can make your money work for you but before we delve into that my question is why is it important why is it important that your money is working
1: for you why is it important that you're using your money to make more money Thank you for asking that question. And I'm actually going to sit up here because this is really important. And it's taken me over 30 years to realise this. There are many people who struggle to understand why they go to school. Now, some people might be wondering, he's going off on a tangent. Hear me out. Let it it go. Let it rip. There are many successful people who've done well in school who still wonder why they've actually gone to school. How do I succinctly explain the process? Because we all Most of us have gone through the process of secondary school, A-levels, potentially university degree and so on. i come to the understanding that we must, at our early years, acquire skills and knowledge, one. Two, we must learn how to learn. After acquiring skills and knowledge and learning how to learn, we must then sell that to someone. Someone's going to pay for our skills, our knowledge and our ability to learn. Now, we've all done that. Now, what we haven't done, which Boris Johnson has done, is learnt how to then reinvest what we have earned into something which makes money for us. Many of us miss that step. So we've sold our skills, our knowledge, our ability to learn. We've acquired capital and we spend it Mm. rather than acquiring that capital and reinvesting that capital so that capital begins to work for us so that we no longer have to sell our skills and our knowledge. To survive now that is the step which many of us need to just pause and think hard as to how do we get to that what do we need to cut back on so that we can start to make our money work for us so that we are not working for someone else forever so if i was to summarize that or at least
0: reflect on it selling our time for money Mm. is a losing game yes Simply because our time is very valuable and it's something that we want to use Mm. to do other things, like spend time with our kids, going on holiday, Mm -hmm. um, enjoying our our relationships. So if we are giving up our time, our education, Mm. our our competency Mm. solely Mm. um, as a transaction where we get money back, then we are going to find ourselves on a bit of a hamster wheel. Where we're giving up our most valuable resource yes. for a finite amount of resource mm-hmm. in return. Now, what you're saying is that mm-hmm. we can use a different resource mm-hmm. for the resource that we want. So rather than yes. giving up our time for money, we can give up our resources for money. Yes, And the reason why that's so powerful is because then we get our time back.
1: You're buying back your time. You're buying back your time. And then that's literally it. That might be the title of this episode. How to buy back your time. Mm. Because we all need to buy it back. And it does cost money. Yes. Making money costs money. And many of us who come from certain environments are so risk-averse that we are not willing to spend money to make money. Mm. Because we have seen how difficult it was to acquire that money. Through our skills and knowledge development, our time working hard, studying hard. And so we, we hold on to it. And it goes into rent and utility bills and mortgages. It's a false economy and it's a kind of a false
0: concept. And I believe there's a term that's used for it, which is the sweat economy. Mm. Where mm. ultimately we must sweat in order to make money. And that's yes. how I was raised. That's what I believe, that we must sweat. We must work hard. We must be sleep deprived yeah. in order to make money. And when you see the Boris Johnson stories of <laughs> the world, you realize that there are people playing a very, very different game. Play different game. And I mean, just to paint a picture of what Boris Johnson has been up to. Um, so Boris Johnson, he as prime minister makes £160,000, which isn't a lot of money when you think about it. But Boris Johnson also has owns fifty percent of a house in London and twenty percent of a house um, in the southwest, and for that he gets about another ten thousand pounds a year. And he actually had to make a significant pay cut when he stepped into into office, because before that, in two thousand nine, he was given one hundred twenty thousand pounds for a speech that he delivered in India, yeah. £50,000 for speaking at a Dublin-based event, and £40,000 for an engagement at the Swiss Economic Forum. Now, those are three events that mm-hmm. all took place in 2019, which equate to over £200,000. Yeah. Not to mention, he's written a book, and it is recorded that he received about 24... 4000 um, pounds from publishers from the sales of his book between april and Mar- april 2020 and march 2021 now why is that important now he delivered three speeches in 2019 which gave
1: him which made him 200000 pounds you think about the delivery time and the prep time Compared to the delivery time and prep time of being prime minister? (laughs) He wrote a book, I believe in
0: 2019, which he doesn't have to do anything about anymore. Mm -hmm. But in 2020, or between 2020 and 2021, he received about £24,000 from the sales of that book while being prime minister. Now, the reason why I think that's important to mention is because those three activities make, have made him more money than his day job. Yes. And if you want to add on the fact that he actually has property that he rents out yeah. as well, his, him being prime minister is his side hustle.
1: That needs to be chopped up, <laughs> posted on Twitter and Instagram. And this is why I started with education. Because this is an educational piece. We're not playing the same game as many of them. We don't realise... The same thing happened to David Cameron. David Cameron comes from a very affluent background. Mm -hmm. Being Prime Minister was not his mainstream of income. No, We need to understand that they see this as a different... They see it for different purposes. It is not the Tony Blair who acquires that role and is now actually living the life of the Prime Minister, there for the people, and afterwards can then deliver speeches for a 100 grand each. They come from an environment where you are paid excessive amounts purely because of what you know. Mm. You and know who to, you know. And who you know. And that links us to
0: the other issue that we're seeing in the news at the moment um, with the Conservative Party, which is the award of various contracts service contracts, NHS contracts, healthcare contracts, to friends of conservative politicians or family members. Oldboy Network. So it just emerged that Matt Hancock, who is the health secretary, his sister works in a company that was recently Mm. awarded Mm. a large contract in Wales. And this is how the cycle continues. Now, I think that's definitely a topic for another day. Stakeholders, you know, who you know is a big yes. question. Right now, we're talking about how you get the biggest bang for your buck, yeah. how you get the biggest return for your expertise. Yeah. I haven't even mentioned the fact that Boris Johnson has been a com- columnist on various newspapers. He was. Was it the expression? I, I, I think it was an international. Which would have come with a very hefty yes. salary as well. And these are all things which aren't necessarily large uses of his time, but they are the most economically
1: beneficial uses of his time. Now, break that down, because this is a mathematical equation in terms of economically beneficial. Mm. Are you suggesting the input, or the output, should I say, far outweighs the input? Yeah. To have them understand it. So, so for example, I could slog for nine months and earn the equivalent of maybe one month's worth of work, Mm. whilst the same individual could slog for one month and earn the equivalent of a week's worth of work. Now, mathematically, the second individual is economically better off because the amount of time that they're putting in and what they're getting out of it far outweighs what the first person put in and got out of it, even though it's less. There's,
0: based on that, there are two points that I want to make. And this is really interesting. So the first point is, I think there is a, an issue with how many people are between you and the consumer of your resource. So that's one question. Mm. And I think the other question is, how much are you worth really? So I'm going to touch on that first point first. How many people are between you and the consumer of your resource? So, for example, if you work in a if you work in a bakery mm. and your job is to put together all of mm. the uh, baked goods, then you still have to uh, answer to the manager mm-hmm. who may be, has to answer to a regional manager of yes. the bakes of 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 the the chain that you work for, mm. um, who who will then provide a value proposition, or market the the baked goods that you've made mm. to the consumer. So you're the one who's produced yes. the donut or mm. the croissant, mm. but the manager of the store who hasn't produced the donut has a greater share of it. Needs to get paid. <laughs> the The regional manager of the store who does the marketing yep. of your product also needs to get paid. So although it's your hard work that has gone to produce this end yep. result, there are many people that need to take their piece before you actually get paid. And the more mm. people that are between you and the end consumer, the less you actually get of your work. So that's one thing. And I think it's important because when we work for a company, any company, the likelihood is, is that there are many people that need to eat off your hard work. Yes. Keep on working hard. <laughs> Keep working <laughs> hard. Um, there are many people who need to eat. And the, beauty, the beautiful thing is, if you're a manager of 10 people, then you're, you don't necessarily need to take a big chunk of one individual's work. You just take a small amount from multiple people. Yes. And then it accumulates to a larger amount. But then, on off that same vein, how much is your work worth, really? So my wife, wa- my wife is a lawyer. Now, for an hour of her time, no, I won't say that. Her time is so valuable that it is divvied out in six-minute intervals. Glory. six-minute intervals. Now, how much of that? To how much of that um, resource? That a big corporation, a Coca-Cola, a Facebook, Amazon, how much of that resource goes back into my wife's pocket? A fraction. Now, if my wife developed a relationship with that corporation herself and said, let's cut out the middleman. I'm going to offer you the services that you are paying for direct. Mm. Let's cut out the... Um, the the street dealers you're going to go straight to the the source of the cocaine in Colombia what would the price differential be so that's me kind of going around the houses to try and paint that picture of it's so important that we realize how much our value is really worth when you're putting a donut together or a croissant or whatever you're doing in that bakery how much is the consumer paying for it and how much of that is going into your pocket? And are you comfortable yeah. with that fraction? And are you willing to take the risk to say, I've got a valuable skill. And if I... Bet on myself. Bet on myself. <laughs> start my own donut shop. Yep. How much of that um, consumer penny mm. do I get to keep in my pocket? I'm hoping that
1: made sense. It does. And I think it's going to be depressing a lot of people right now. <laughs> <laughs> because this is... This is what Marx was speaking about in his Communist Manifesto, that the working class do not own the fruits of their labour. No. They don't own what they produce, simply stated, and thus they will forever remain poor. But this is almost an encouragement to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Once I am actually working, once I am actually an entrepreneur, how can I ensure that my money is working for me, that I'm Mm. buying back my time? And I think that that first step is identifying what you can actually invest your money in long term and not seeing this as a pyramid scheme or a lottery.
0: Mm.
1: So I am a, I am myself, I am a um, a black boy growing up in London. I was educated to be educated. <laughs> I was told to go to school that's right, so that I can get a good job, so that I won't have to sell drugs. <laughs> That last bit they left out, but it was in the subtitle. It was implied. It was (laughs) was implied. It was implied. Okay, now that I've done that, and I realize that actually I see a fraction of what my real value is, I now need to think about what I can invest my money in. Now, the first obstacle I have is, okay, I'm now accepting I need to invest, but I see investing as gambling Mm. and buying a lottery ticket. And I see that because I realise and I read so many stories of people who are investing and I read success stories and it seems overnight not realising that investing is a long-term game. Yes. And it's about thinking strategically as to how you can take a fraction of what you earn in the same way as so many people are already taking fractions of what you would have earned yeah. and put that to work and forget about it. The only thing I would disagree with and
0: that's the last thing that you said is you don't forget about it. You 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 build on it, and you strategize around it. Mm. So our our, our our typical approach is: I get my money from working in a donut shop, mm. and then I will give it to somebody else. I'll mm. I'll get the money from the donut shop, mm. and I'll use it to buy McDonald's. Yes, and the cycle continues. It's gone into my hand, and it's completely left my hand. Mm. Instead. If we look at our nine to five, Mm. our day job as a resource creator, Mm. then we should ask ourselves, okay, well, now that I've actually got this consistent input or inflow of capital, how do I divvy it up in the most beneficial way Mm. so that I can get money back? Now, there are stories like this in, in many different instances. There's one really famous story of a, a postal worker in America who, on a regular basis, took 20% of his salary and actually invested it in the post office. Yes. So he, actually, he bought stocks and shares in the post office. And then over the course of, I believe, 40 years, he became a millionaire. Mm. Because all he did was, every month, 20% of my salary, I buy post office stock. Yes. And you do that for long enough, okay, well, this money comes back to, to you. And he's very different from me because he still ended up, even as a millionaire, working in the post office. But th- the mindset there is very different from what many of us do, which is, I get all of this money, how can I- Spend it all. Spend it all. Plus some. Exactly. How do I predict what my next pay is gonna be? To cover. (laughs) Exactly that, and this is the the key challenge. Um, We talk about investing, but investing comes in many many different shapes and sizes. When you are investing, what you're doing is you're saying, I am going to place this capital in a place which is going to return dividends. And one of the easiest ways, well not easiest, but one of the simplest ways that we invest our money one of the earliest ways we invested our money was in education. Yes. Many people listening to this mm-hmm. are going to have a university degree. Mm-hmm. That was not free. We had to pay for that. You still are. You, you still are paying for that. But it was an investment because without that degree, you probably wouldn't be doing the job you're doing now. So you, by making use of that methodology, you pay for education. Education gave you a job that paid you more money than what you paid, than what you paid, then how do you repeat that process? Mm. And when do you repeat that process? How important is it for you to pay for more education so that your resource, your capability is more valuable so that you can make more money? And that can happen Mm. in two different ways. That can happen in, I'm gonna pay for more education so I am more attractive to an employer. Yes. Or I am going to pay for an education so that I can start my own business. And
1: when you delve into that realm, your employer is likely to pay for it. Yes. So um, truth be told, I am going for an educational piece which my employer is paying for. Mm. Now, my employer is not going to be the biggest benefactor of that. And I think they know that because I will forever hold that title. but I'm not guaranteed to forever be with that. Absolutely. So reinvesting in yourself through your education is invaluable. And people will see the benefit of it because they will get a slice of your increased output. Mm. As will you long-term. What other ways do you think are important investment strategies? I think the first is once you've decided to tithe your own salary and put in a percentage away, whether it's 10% or 20%, actually identifying sources of wisdom. I say that before mentioning crypto or stocks or shares or or hedge funds, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because the mistake again that black boy growing up in London who was educated to be educated and work will make after accepting, okay, maybe I should do something with my money, is they will listen to anyone and everyone mm. who says this is a good idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yo, 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 bro! I've got this business here. Trust me, you're gonna get double your money back. okay Everybody's had that so
1: <laughs> and people have been burnt. Yes. So we have to ensure that we hand our funds into a source of wisdom. Mm. The funds have to go somewhere which has a track record of success.
0: Mm.
1: Or it is being led by someone who has a track record of success and understands that environment, that industry, that sector to know that this is the next thing. It's worth investing in this. Otherwise, again, I'm buying a lottery ticket. Yes, and I'm going to throw shade.
0: Pyramid schemes. This is a great example of get rich quick. Oh, mm-hmm. give me this money and I will double it for you. Now, this is where discernment comes into play. Mm-hmm. How realistic is it that that somebody is going to double their money selling aloe vera products or um, snack bars?
1: Just go back to your earlier premise. If I am that consumer, I'm going to refer to myself as a consumer rather yeah. than the mug, <laughs> and you are saying that you're going to double my money, I give you a £1,000. For you to give me £2,000 back, how much do I think you would have had to make exactly. for that to be worthwhile?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and as you said, acquire wisdom. I think that's so important because ultimately if you are starting to make money and you don't know how to handle it if you actually haven't got a good foundation in your own money management then
1: the money that you're saving could end up going down the drain you'll lose it quicker and you'll be burnt and you'll go back to what you were doing initially which is being educated to be educated and to work saying that all of this stuff is actually nonsense it's all a lie purely because of your bad experience so once you acquire your own knowledge and wisdom and you seek out people who are knowledgeable within their sector Invest in them. Now, this could look like me seeing a startup. Identifying someone who knows their industry, knows their field, is passionate about it, presents a proposal which I somewhat believe in and I'm willing to put in 10% of my income. I'm investing in that person because I know that that person has done their due diligence. I've done my due diligence and I now know that my money can support them to build something greater and they're going to run with it.
0: And that's something which I think eludes many people. We, we look at kind of venture capitalists as these very lofty, mythical, mythical people. <laughs> Just these sages, these gurus. Yeah. You know, you still have the picture of the guy with the top hat and a monocle with big bags of yes. money on his desk. And ultimately, investors, cap, uh, venture capitalists, look like you and I. If you see a business that you like the look of and you know that that business needs resources, then rather than leaving your money to gather dust in a bank, why not help that business grow? Now, one, one of the things which I find interesting, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine um, about cryptocurrency and investing mm-hmm. there. And he made a really interesting point. He said, the biggest problem with crypto is that if you, jump, if you miss the boat with investing in a specific coin or a specific mm-hmm. stock, then you end up praying for other people's downfall. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh wow! And I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't go. That, <laughs> I personally wouldn't go that far. But I understand. It. It's like when you have missed the boat and you see people growing, you actually, you actually feel hurt. <clears throat> by the fact that you've missed this boat and the fact is you don't necessarily need to do the research that this person has done you can fund that person exactly you can say how about you invest my money yes and you take a certain percentage
1: of the profits that you gain um i'm really pleased that you started with boris johnson because if we juxtapose boris johnson to that black boy be myself growing up in peckham we received a very different education mm. now That black boy, grandma McPackham, who's now praying for people's downfall, (laughs) (laughs) has has failed to understand that there are opportunities everywhere. Mm. You have capital. Look, study, wait. There are opportunities. There are people who need your money. The people who are funding Boris Johnson's extravagant gold uh, photo frames Mm. know that they are going to probably receive hashtag Dyson. Mm. Tax cuts at some point in the future. (laughs) I scratch you about you scratch mine. They know that it will be reciprocal. Mm. We we have to move beyond one. That way, Grandpa Beckham seeing it as a lottery. Two, seeing it as a single boat, which leaves once a year, and if you're not on that boat, you've missed it for a whole year.
0: And and this is and this is another point. You mentioned the kind of gold photo frames and missing boats not every investment opportunity is for you. Some require capital, which you do not have. And the point I would make around that is it's important to live within your means. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we kill ourselves or we financially bankrupt ourselves because we are trying to get a big win when we should have aimed lower. So my point there is that if you don't have the finances to be going into certain games, like the crypto game, which I would argue you need significant capital to play with. If you are, do not spend your last thousand pounds on cryptocurrency. You need a significant amount of capital for that to be a good yeah. game. Otherwise, you're going to literally be sat there watching it go up 20 pounds, then down 50, then up 40 pounds. then it's not, it's not a game that you want to play. But I think Gary Vee is a very good example of how everybody can be an investor. Mm-hmm. He talks about the fact that when he was younger, he literally went on um, car boot sales mm-hmm. and found items which he believed were underpriced mm-hmm. and then um, set up his, his own shop, effectively, of all of these items and making marginal returns on each. Yes. Um, he was a collector of baseball cards in particular. So go and find these rare baseball cards at mm-hmm. car boot sales and then find the right consumer who would be willing to pay what those what those cards were worth. Yeah. Now that is a game that everybody can play. Develop a level of expertise around a specific set of products that you know there is a market for, mm-hmm. and find where they are underpriced mm-hmm. and then flip them. And ultimately, that is the game for all Effective investment. All effective investment is is finding things that are underpriced, and then making sure that you sell them
1: when they have accumulated value. That's it. Now going back to that black boy in Peckham who educates to be educated <laughs> and just works a lot. The error that he is going to make is that he will not understand marginal gains. Mm. Again, he's waiting to purchase something and for it to a million x. Mm rather than understanding that there are so many companies which are making three, four, 5% profit, yeah, which sounds ridiculous. I remember when I started working out the profit margin in the company and realized that that's considerably lower than what I thought because I didn't have that education. Mm. I didn't understand that there are major corporations which are making 6% profit. That's right. That 6% is hundreds of millions. Yeah. It's, it's marginal for them. Um, Went through a KFC drive through and I noticed that they were, if you were buying their bargain bucket, they would donate 5p to their charity. And I thought, okay, calculate what would their profit margin have been for them mm. to be able to offer 5p? Potentially, that bargain bucket it, it may be in the pence. Yeah. But if their profit margin is 10p, 20p per bucket, think about this economies of scale. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, it's that education piece which we are lacking. One, we're trying to win the lottery. Two, we don't understand compounding and marginal gains. Three, we don't understand investing into people who have wisdom. Four, we want people to fail when we feel like we've missed the goal. (laughs) But that point around we're trying to win the lottery, that doesn't
0: just um, pertain to investment. That also pertains to business ideas. We, as a community, as a society, love the idea of big tech because we see it as a get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah. If I have this tech solution that everybody's using, or if I have this app that's on everyone's phone, I'm gonna be a millionaire overnight. Why not start small? Do you know how much barbershops make? And, and the, the point there is, is that if you, if, if you overshoot and expect a return in the short term, that tech idea may have been good, but because you are expecting a return within the first five years, yeah. it may never actually see the light of day. Um, and the other point, kind of linking back to that, is that if you are looking to make the most out of your capital, then look for things that can give you those shorter-term returns, mm. especially in in the early days. Anyway, if you look at people's portfolios, mm. you know seasoned investors' portfolios. They have a mixture of long-term investments and yes. short-term investments. Things that they're gonna be pulling out of over the next couple of weeks, yes. and things that they're gonna be holding on to for dear life mm. for the next couple of years. And spotting those opportunities. And I think the same thing should be done when, it look, when you look at business. Are there any short-term business things that I could be doing? Versus are there any longer-term things which are gonna pay back dividends yes. in the future? A good example of that is the retail, um, the, the real estate market. So you now got a property. You've got your first property, and maybe you're actually looking at getting your second. Now, there are two games here. What is the short-term return? Well, I might let out yes. my property and get marginal income back, mm-hmm. but this is money which is supplementing my normal salary. Mm-hmm. My long-term vision is wait. 20 years into the future <laughs> when this property is worth maybe 20 30% more maybe more than that more than that more than
1: that sell it and maybe buy two more it's speaking practically um i rent out a property and i earn 300 pounds a month on it now for some that will be life changing sums for others they realize that's good additional income to have each month that's short term but long term I know that that property has gone up in value by over 100,000 pounds in the last 12 years. Praise God. So I know in the next 12 years, I can conservatively estimate that it will go up by at least 50,000. So long-term, I know that there's that win, there's that gain. So it's that, I think there's an education piece around the difference between trading and investing, mm. and knowing that, yes, there are, there are gains to be made short-term, but what can be made long term by just holding, holding on to it whilst it increases in value and you continue to add value to it, it can be life changing.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about that that differential there? You, you mentioned trading versus
1: investment. I it's it's an education piece. We we once all purchased the intelligent investor. Um, I remember the first chapter of the Intelligent Investor taught me the difference between trading and investing. And I didn't know it before. Investing is long-term. So when people think about Warren Buffett and they have his quotes on their Instagram or whatever, he is a long-term investor. Mm. He goes in, buys when things are low, like Abby mentioned, and he holds. Because he knows long-term it's going to increase in value. Um, When he was purchasing Coca-Cola, purchasing gradual amounts over and over again, over a period of time, knowing that he understands the industry and that this is going to drastically increase long-term. Trading is buying and selling at shorter intervals, which can be also highly successful.
0: Mm.
1: In that this is where day traders come from, people who might buy stocks um, or even loan during short term, like this loan sharks, they're day traders (laughs) in essence. They're buying stocks at a time where they think it's slightly lower. Loan Sharks, they're loaning money to people who are absolutely desperate. Um, the return is in a two weeks time or day traders, their return is in the following day. And they're selling when it's incrementally up because mm. they know that they've made a, a marginal amount for them. That marginal amount for them might be 50 pounds. It might be 5,000 pounds compared to what they've put in. But that's a job that they're doing on a short-term game. And the, the Best analogy
0: for me when I think about trading is one that we can all experience just going to the market. You see traders everywhere. They have purchased something for cheaper than they sell it. And then they they sell it on. Um, And they are expecting a very
1: Mm. immediate return. That's a perfect analogy. Because for those of us who lived close to markets, we've seen later in the day how the prices change.
0: Mm.
1: What was... Uh, a, a bowl for a pound is <laughs> now two bowls for a pound yeah. because they're at the end of their day <laughs> and they want to get rid of everything that yeah. they purchased mm. to ensure that they they maximise their profit
0: and the last thing I want to talk about which w- about this concept is the main reason why people aren't doing it if you're listening to this right now and you haven't done it, the main reason why you haven't done it is because of the risk so very simple question. I'm not going to win any awards for this, but is the risk worth it?
1: Most definitely. The reason why people aren't doing it is education. It's, 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 it's purely education. And by that, I don't mean formal, sitting in a classroom education, but your environment. There are people who've grown up in environments which have taught them that other people can pay for it. Mm. Hashtag Boris. And there are others who've been brought up in environments where you've got to work harder than everyone else in the room. You've got to slog hard, keep your head down, and you'll earn your money. Both are true. <laughs> one isn't a lie. Mm. But one leads to a life of never seeing the fruits of your labour because so many people are taking a cut from it. Whilst the other acknowledges that capital isn't the issue. Um, I mean, we've been fortunate to speak to people who are extremely wealthy millionaires, and when they say things such as money isn't the issue, Sometimes yeah. I just want to, just want to jump them yeah. and strangle yeah. them, I just because. But they've come to that realization that money is not the problem. There is money everywhere. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there literally is money. Yeah. There, there are people with money who don't know what to do with it. Mm. I, I know of a woman highly successful who gave people back a ten percent return if they gave them gave her five thousand, ten thousand, and she was investing it in property. Now it's a win win. Because you give her £5,000, she gives you £5,500 in 10 months. No bank is going to give that to you. And there are many people who have that savings in their bank just sitting there. But what she's doing with other people's money is that she's flipping commercial properties. Mm. So she's giving you get back your 10%. But she's made 30% on top of your 10% to take care of her family. It, it starts with education. It starts by one. Educating yourself on you don't need that extra X, Y, and Z cut back on your expenses. Hold 10% of what you earn. Identify people of wisdom, people of credibility within any field and speak to them about what are they doing. Invest in them. Invest in that 10% is what you can lose because previously you were losing it to McDonald's or Boohoo or, or, or Misguided or something. That money was going somewhere. Mm. other than your account. So don't see it as, oh, but I could lose this because previously it was going to Goucher. Yep. (laughs) And then continue to compound and study.
0: And get people to invest in you. Now, I was fortunate enough to learn a very important lesson quite early on in my professional career. I delivered a presentation to some senior people at work, asking them, to give me money so that I could run a mentoring scheme. Um, So I stood in front of a room and I delivered this presentation and said, please can I have 10,000 pounds so that I can run a mentoring scheme in a local school? And they said, yes, that was the end of it. I think it was about four slides. Um, And they they gave me 10,000 pounds to run a mentoring scheme because the perceived value that they would receive from that 10,000 pounds outweighed the initial investment. Mm -hmm. A couple of years later, I delivered another presentation. And this had more slides. It was about 30 slides. But this this got me £6 million. And this was £6 million to invest in a new business line within my company. I didn't get to keep any of the money, unfortunately. But it was so that I could go off and create a new product line. Now, the point I'm making is that your words have power. So if somebody is currently looking and their balance, bank balance, is in the negative, that doesn't stop you from actually building if you've got a vision. You just need to create a compelling vision that people are willing to mm. buy. Mm. And mm. your point around people who have got money still asking other people for money because they are that confident that they can provide a return demonstrates that. When you have a clear vision yes. backed up by results, You're able to, even with your own money, say, I don't want to spend my money. I want to spend your money because I'm going to get you a return and get myself paid in the process. Um, So that that would be my challenge for anybody who is low on income at the moment. Put together 10 slides Mm. that cover your vision, your business plan and share it with people you actually, have more capital than you do. Yeah. Be realistic and see if you can make it work. You know, maybe it's something simple. I want to start a gym, a gym, I want to start a fashion brand, I want to start a hairdressing service. Whatever it is, outline how much money you need to spend to start it up and how much money you plan on making. Well, actually, do two things. Work out how much money you plan on making and then cut that in half. <laughs> and if it still makes sense, run with
1: it. Yeah. Very wise. But that, I, go ahead. Sorry, it's, just a, it's a huge education piece because there are many people who are fearful of asking other people for money mm. because they perceive the world in the way that they will respond. Mm. They will, so going back to that, black boy in Peckham who's educated to be educated. You ask him for money, he's saying no. no. His card has just been rejected from a pizza shop for a one pound pizza. So you don't get any money out of him. So he's projecting that same response to other people, not realizing that actually if he does invest in his own vision, in his knowledge and skills, he can sell that. Mm. He can sell it. And on this occasion, he's not selling it purely to an employer, but he's selling it to an investor. He's saying, actually, I would like you to work really hard. For yeah. me, yeah, that's what investors are saying. Mm. They're looking at you, thinking, oh, "Are you going to work hard enough for my money?" Yeah, that's what right, exactly. And if they conclude that actually yes, they think that the money they're willing to give um, equates to you working really hard, they'll give you the money because they don't want to work. They don't want to work. <laughs> they don't want to work.
0: And you need to. And I, I okay. So the last thing I'll mention is that we are all in a. We're all in a position within a cycle. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the end of that cycle is. I just know where I am now. So I was in my educational cycle where I was developing competencies. I was learning skills. And then I became a uh, producer. You sold it. I sold the skills that I learned to an employer, Mm -hmm. which meant that they were making more, much more, than I was making. Mm -hmm. I think my first graduate job, I was an engineer, and it's lovely to see these kinds of things, but my first graduate job as an engineer at the age of 22, I know that my time was worth 80 pounds an hour. I was not making (laughs) 80 pounds an hour. Um, I know lawyers, their time is worth significantly, (laughs) significantly more than that. Um, I was a producer, and as a result of me being a producer, I became a consumer Mm -hmm. as she started by using my money to buy nice things. Yes. Um, luckily for me, that period did not last very long. I think for some people it lasts a lot longer than others. Two decades. But <laughs> but then we moved on to being creators, mm-hmm. I will call it, where we used our resources to build things that people liked. Yes. Um, and rather than me selling my resources for an employer or a manager or for a firm, We sold it direct to the consumer. Mm -hmm. We developed a set of skills which allowed us to produce value that the consumer would give us money, cash in hand for. Now the stage that I'm in is I'm an investor, Mm -hmm. which is I am consciously looking for places I can put my money in order for it to work for me because I've accumulated enough and I am accumulating enough that I would like a significant amount of that money Mm -hmm. to work for me. Yes. With the end goal of me not having to work in a long run, mm-hmm. so I'm guessing now. This is me in 2021 saying that I'm guessing that the next stage is something like a. Do you
1: know? I think the next stage for us mm. is being philanthropists, because yeah. yeah, at currently we we invest a good chunk of our money to just go out to do good. Mm. But there'll be a time when that's not ten, fifteen, twenty percent of our income, but could easily be fifty, sixty percent of our income, because as investors, we are gaining so much residual income. That please
0: don't tell say say things like that because people will come and rob us. Like <laughs> I don't know what details are online, but I don't want to knock on the door saying, "Listen." Do you know what? If Boris's numbers online, so is ours. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. Um, you're absolutely right philanthropist and one thing that actually as soon as you said that I was like of course it is Mm -hmm. because when you start getting returns on your investment then guess who comes knocking at the door (laughs) the taxman wants their cut (laughs) the taxman says I see you're doing well come here bro and and one of the best ways that people can manage their profits is through tax exempt activities such as charity so philanthropy (laughs) is the next step that's not to say that it isn't coming from a genuine place mm-hmm. but I was doing my tax returns not too long ago and when it when it indicated that me tithing yeah, it's, it's, you can is, get that is tax deductible yeah. I went oh okay yeah what else um so I, I I completely agree with you that that is going to be the next step. In our journey, philanthropy, which is something that we're doing to
1: some extent already, to be fair. It is, mean, It will only increase. And I think, in many respects, all of those stages, I'm glad that you ended on those stages. All of those stages are always being done by some, but they're not being specialized in. Mm. There are many of us when we were going through our just education, being educated, we were creative,
0: mm. but we
1: were not serious about it. There are many people listening who will think about the things that they, the ideas that they came up with, which they ran for six days or six weeks, but they never really committed to, which if they had, it could have grown to something. Then they moved to the point in which they were producers and they, they were somewhat still getting bits of education, somewhat still thinking about creative ideas. But again, their focus was just on producing. In each stage, I think people are doing elements, fragments of all of them. Yeah but never really giving it all their all, never committing to it. Um, and it's, it's great to synth, succinctly share it like that so people listening can identify where they are and to understand that you decide how long you're in that season. Yeah. You can literally be in the season of being a producer and being celebrated as a producer, oh, my daughter is a doctor, or oh, my son is this, yeah. and be carrying that badge for two to three decades and realize i'm tired, I'm, very tired. <laughs> I'm actually tired of doing this i've done what they told me to do why am i tired <laughs> <laughs> yep because you won you got what you set out to achieve you just didn't know that you didn't know you didn't know there was a <laughs> next level That there was another level to it and that next level is where people are able to Benefit from the wise decisions you've made because your money's working for you. You've yes. bought back your time. I
0: hope you found this useful. Me too. I really enjoyed it. Um, I've got nothing else to say. My my takeaway from this is to understand how I can make the most of this investor period mm-hmm. and look at
1: that transition into uh, philanthropy. Yes. Last word to you, Flori if i was listening to this i think one thing i would have potentially wanted were tips as to what i should invest my money in mm. and i think the reason we haven't given that although we will is that the the principles behind it come first the principles of investing in yourself of, mm. of identifying wisdom of understanding this is not a lottery of marginal gains of compounding these are crucial otherwise you will invest in what I'm investing and you will lose and I will win. And you will think that I've stolen your money. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't. You just didn't know the rules of the game. You didn't. So there are episodes coming where we will speak in more depth, tangibly about putting this amount and this came out at this period. Mm. And these are decisions that we made for good or bad. But please do think about yourself as more than just a producer or as more than just someone who's currently been educated because your good and your investments literally change the trajectory of the people in your life um, and, and we are both believers of a, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children well that comes from investing that comes from having real assets and not just liabilities, you can only hand down assets, actually you can hand down liabilities but you don't want to <laughs> <laughs> You should only be handing down assets. So Mm. we're going to continue this conversation. Um, For me, God bless. And until next week. Take care.